0: Our rules really need to be broken. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm with my guest Katrina.
1: Hey, yes, I'm Katrina and I'm really excited to be here I'm new to this whole podcast thing but I'm all about sharing stories hearing people's stories and telling my own story I am a financial advisor by trade but recently wrote a book so I guess that makes me an author my my book kind of tells my story of serving on a jury duty for a murder trial in which I wound up having contempt of court charges um, a mistrial is found and I go through my own trial. And, and so it was just kind of, it was such a insane period of time in my life that I decided to write a book about it. But I also, I'm an adoptive mom of kids from foster care that come from a lot of trauma, always seem to have quite a bit of crazy in my life and I'd continuously have people tell me I needed to write a book. And the, the, uh, Causing a mistrial was kind of the cherry on the top. And I said, I'll do it. I'm going to write a book.
0: Absolutely. I don't really know anyone who's been through that. So I am so intrigued.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it was pretty insane. Which case was it? The case, you know, and I mean, it's all, you know, it's all closed now. So I should be able to talk freely about all of it. But um, it was a case that the... Uh, defendant, and it was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Hageness. And in my book, I don't tell any names. of course, anybody could could Google any of it and learn anything they wanted. Um, But so a woman, um, she was, I believe at the time of the murder, she was maybe 58. She was 60 at the time of the trial. Um, But she shot and killed her husband. So that was the the case. And, you know, her primary defense uh, was that it was self-defense. You know, there was no, it was not a question of whether or not she actually did it. But, you know, did she have any reason to do it? Or was this, you know, just murder in cold blood? The state had charged her with first degree murder. So that was our job as the jury was to determine if she was in fact guilty of first degree murder or a lesser charge of either second degree manslaughter or just acquitter altogether. I guess I was a little bit um you know of course anybody talks about the the burden of jury duty and you know whenever I was called um, it was an extremely busy time in my life. Um, I kind of write the book in a diary format. And the day I was called, I was actually the day of my daughter's wedding. In fact, coming up on one year, it was April 9th, starts April 9th of last year is the my first entry. One of my adopted sons, he's severely disabled, had kind of been through hell with him, and he uh was getting transferred to a facility and kind of all of the emotions involved with having to relinquish a, a child to a facility and admit that you just, you're not able to care for them. It was just, it was a really difficult season, but, you know, the whole thing of like jury duty and the justice system, it, I mean, always intrigued me. I kind of felt like, you know, that's, you know, your uh, civic duty to uh, serve in this capacity. So I went and I You know, there's this whole process as far as how they select the actual jury members that are going to serve. You know, when you first show up, there can be tons of people that show up and then they uh, weed it down through this process called Vore Dyer. And I detail all that in my book as far as um, how they whittled it down. And I got lucky. (laughs) and was selected. What ended up being a complication of the whole situation was the judge on the case was a a personal friend of mine. And beyond that, um, I was his financial advisor. I'm a financial advisor by trade. And that, as you read the story, ends up becoming quite a complication in the whole situation. I had this kind of image of. You know, a, a, a trial where it's all about truth and justice and facts, and I came to realize pretty quickly that it's more about the theatrics of the prosecutors and the defense attorneys and emotional play, and um, and I was there just for the facts. And what it ended up being an extremely difficult thing. I I, I didn't realize how hard it would be to, you know, like say whether another person was like guilty or innocent. And specifically because in this particular case, I didn't feel like we actually got all the facts. So there were 17 witnesses for the state, for the prosecution. And (laughs) all 17 of them basically just said, she killed him, you know, and they, I mean, just redundant over. And I was like, okay, we get it. She killed him. That was never up for argument to begin with. But the defense She had 14 witnesses, but only two of them ended up being allowed to speak. Over and over again, these witnesses would be called, prosecution would object, they would huddle at the judge's bench, and it would be sustained and they wouldn't be allowed to speak. And that left me going, What in the world? You know, like, why are these people not? Allowed to testify. And it just it bothered me greatly. Well, we all know that, you know, and it was all, you know, driven into us as jurors, you know, don't research the case. You can't research the case. Don't talk about the case. Blah, 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 blah. Which is, you know, it was a four-day trial, which ends up being extra, you know, even us as the jury, when you're sequestered into the jury room, you're not allowed to uh, talk to each other, which is this like, you know, why can't, you know, you're not not allowed to ask questions. I mean, nothing. Well, so, uh, you know, the day before we were going to go back to deliberate, I felt, you know, like I said at the beginning, I, I like to know people's stories. And at the end of it, I felt like, you know, there was a lot of emotional play, especially by the prosecution, you know, as far as displaying the pictures of the autopsy body of the victim and bringing family members up to testify that that really were not able to give any insight into was this a self-defense crime you see what i'm saying like i wanted to know who was this person this victim um there was some allegations that he was abusive there were some allegations that he was alcoholic he was intoxicated at the time of his death Um, which was middle of the afternoon on a weekday. But, you know, of course, people have a right to drink in their own homes in the afternoon. You know, but what kind of person was the defendant? Was she somebody that was I mean, she was a 60 year old piano teacher, but with no record of ever being in trouble before. But who was she? And none of those questions were ever answered. But I felt like I kind of, you know, I'm a researcher by nature. I like to see the big picture. And I felt like I wasn't given it. So I ended up the night before we were to go back and deliberate, I thought, you know, the victim is not really a party to this case. And we were told we can't research the case. Well, there's no reason for me to research the case. I know every single thing about this case. And the victim's deceased. So is he a party to the case? And, you know, I thought, you know, there's a public records out there. I was like, I'll just see if he has any public records out there. Mm-hmm. Type his name in. Nothing. Nothing comes up. So I was like, Okay. You know, and I, and, I, and I even asked myself, I was like, what, what if I do find records? Um, well, then I'm in a con- quandary because we're told we can't consider anything other than what is presented during the trial. I don't have any problem judging this case based on what was presented in the trial. But anyway, nothing came up. I shut my computer, went to bed. We go in to deliberate. And it initially, uh, the majority was first degree murder. And I was one of the holdouts that I just, I couldn't go first degree murder on this. I was like, I did not think she intended to kill her husband. The evidence just didn't, I mean, all we had was evidence that she killed him. Uh, You know, and I I go into into quite a bit of detail in the book as far as our discussions during deliberation and stuff. But at the end of the day, we ended up voting for 100% unanimous on second degree murder. And I kind of, um, there was another jury member that... She and I did not see eye to eye on a, a lot of things. I've listened to a, some of your podcasts, and I know one of the things that you know, you guys, you know, like these violent offenders. I mean, why do they keep getting let out, and why aren't they? Why don't they stay in longer? And one of the things is because we also had to determine not just whether she was guilty or innocent of first degree or second degree, but then once we had the verdict, we had to decide on sentencing as well. And so second degree murder, um, the maximum was 20 years. And so they had to, one of the things they had to do before we deliberated was give what's called, um, the truth in sentencing, basically saying, okay, so the reality is if you sentence somebody to 10 years, here's how much they're actually probably going to serve, you know, you know, that kind of thing. If, So we go into it so we have a better understanding of what they're probably going to serve of the sentence. You know, and what I we're talking about, a 60 year old piano teacher that has never been in trouble before. The chances of her reoffending. You see what I'm saying? Like, right. But then you've got the dilemma of but she killed somebody that's a violent offender. And there were individuals in the jury that wanted I mean, they wanted her in there for life. You know, in first degree murder, there there is the option of life, a life sentence. But my argument was, I said, do you know why nobody ever serves as long as their sentence?" I said, because we don't have enough beds, enough space to hold these people for that long. I said, you know, is does there need to be payment for her crime? Of course. But let's keep the beds open for these violent, habitual reoffenders that need to be off the streets. So that was my perspective on it, so anyway, we vote unanimously. we you know came to a sentence for her. We go back out to the courtroom, you know we we give our verdict our our sentencing, you know, I'm able to breathe a sigh of relief and leave the courthouse and be like, "I'm glad that's over." Well, three days later, <laughs> uh another jury member. Oh, let me let me back up. So after we were done deliberating, so we've we're already done deliberating and and everything. I made the comment and it it was a very emotional experience for me. And and I I said, you know, I don't know about you guys. It was an offhanded comment. I said, I don't know about you guys, but the, the fact that so many of the defendants witnesses were not allowed to testify really bothered me. I said, I let it get the best of me. And I looked the defendant uh, victim up on our court records database. I said, there was nothing there. Made that offhanded comment. Well, another jury member goes back three days later and complains about me for juror misconduct.
0: Was it the same woman?
1: Yes, it was. I didn't know that to begin with, but I disclosed in the book how I came to find out. Well, but then she also complains, you know that I shouldn't have even been on the jury because I knew the judge. So the defense attorney then grabs hold of that, and the defense attorney's real shady anyway, Didn't trust him at all. and she, he really did a a poor job at defending her. And he takes that, and he he wants contempt of court and asks for a mistrial. So we all have to. All of us are called back. All the jury is called back. This defense attorney. Oh my gosh! I mean, you really have to just read it and read. I I print the court transcript. He slandered me, lied about me. You know, said that I was asked the question during voir dire, if I knew the judge or not, and that I lied. You know, absolutely not true. That question wasn't asked, nor is it ever asked during voir dire. Uh, He somehow knew that I was his financial advisor and said that I somehow would uh, had financial interest at stake in the case. You know, I mean, didn't make any sense at all. So the judge, because he was making such a big deal out of us having a relationship, a professional relationship, he recuses himself from it. And another judge steps in. And she, this new judge, um, does find me in contempt of court does issue a mistrial. And then I am left with a hearing date for a trial, which then becomes continued and it's drug out and they, I have to get an attorney and my attorney wants the juror that complained about me to be pulled in so he can cross examine her. And, um, it was just this big, huge thing. And, you know, and, and the whole time I'm going, nope, By him, again, this is the defense attorney that is arguing for a mistrial. But by doing so, he opened his client up to first degree charges all over again when it was second degree that she got. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, and they, the state made it clear during the mistrial hearing that they were going back to first degree murder. And I'm like, there were more jury members. That wanted first degree to to begin with when we first started our deliberations, and I'm like, what in the world is he doing? You know. Anyway, so it was just, you know, and I I, I was left after the whole experience to like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, these these rules for for jurors were written at a time when literally the only information at your hands was outdated newspapers and hearsay from other individuals. In today's time, we literally have at our fingertips factual, non-biased information. You know, and my argument with our my attorney was, I was like during our instruction process, we were told that we are, as the jury, we are the judge of this case, and we are to, you know, kind of sift through the testimony of the witnesses and decide whether they are relevant. Whether they're trustworthy, you know, you see what I'm saying? But we weren't given that opportunity because almost none of the defendants' witnesses were allowed to speak. And I, you know, I was kind of like, well, is the judge of the case, would they have access to court documents and prior information? He's like, well, yeah, sure they would. I was like, well, we're the judge in this case. Um, You know, and so it was just like, you know, it just really kind of left a, I felt like we were more like just pawns in this big uh, game they were playing. And it was just kind of sit down, shut up, do what you're told, follow group think, don't think for yourself, don't think critically. You see what I'm saying? And it was just, anyway, I'm, I'm retired from jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not allowed to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could look at that as a positive, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, did I, did I um, break a rule? I mean, absolutely. If you read it black and white, um, I did break a rule, and so I guess the the question then is where, you know, maybe to, if, you know, if you're a thinker and you want to think about it, is um, should. I mean, it played no role whatsoever in any of the del- deliberations or decision. You know, should it have caused a mistrial? Was that um, something that uh, deserved contempt of court charges? You know, when you know my attorney said Katrina, you're, you're looking at a year in jail, and I'm like, what the hell? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, so I'm like, of course, of course, I am. You know. But I'm kind of like, if I know what I know now, would would I've done things differently? I don't know. I, I'm I'm one of those that just kind of believes everything happens for a reason. So if you want kind of the the end of the story, um, you know, so spoiler alert if you read the book, what ended up happening is there ended up not being a mistrial. Um the state, you know, wrote a you know nasty article about me of how, you know, because I am such a horrible person and caused so many problems, they, it would be too complicated to retry her. So they issued her, they, they offered her a plea deal um, and she accepted it for manslaughter. Did I really screw things up that bad? Is it my fault? Or did the state and prosecution go, well, now maybe um, because of all this hoopla that's now out there about the case, they're going to allow all those other witnesses to speak. You see what I'm saying? And so let's just offer a plea deal and be done with it. As is kind of a, a theme of my book, as I talk about all the other nonsense that I managed to get myself wrapped up into. And a lot of the reasons why I get wrapped up in all this nonsense is I've always had kind of a heart for the underdog and a, uh you know, the marginalized in a society, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to love easily, uh, don't judge that kind of thing. When you're that type of person, it does sometimes end up biting you in, in the butt. But anyway, me and this defendant are, are now friends, <laughs> I <was gonna> <laughs> yeah, you. you know, I was because like, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she is in prison, but I mean, we, you know, we video chat on a regular basis. She's writing a book. I'm typing the manuscript for her. But so, yeah, I guess, you know, and I, you know, the entire experience, though, was just kind of like a, you know, I can talk about it now and laugh, laugh, but it was, I mean, it was absolutely, I mean, to be faced with the possibility of jail time and to have your character slandered when, you know, I, Yes, I, you know, I can take responsibility and say that I, I broke a rule. Did I, at that particular point in time in which I did it, have any ill intent or, um, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you no, know, I, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, you know, first of all, you know, the, the second judge in the, the case, she's a, she's a piece um, and that is uh, very clear with not my words, but her own within the transcript. Um, and it enables me to kind of like, yeah, she did say that it's public document in the court court transcripts. And for me, I was not allowed to really ever speak. Um, and so it's my chance to, here's my side of the story. You see what I'm saying is, and then also, you know, I mean, even though my story is unique, I, it's not one of those where, you know, I was went through some sort of hell where I was sexually abused or had a horrible childhood. And I tell my story to encourage others who have been through that. And you know, definitely an anomaly is like not too many people served on jury duty and caused mistrial, but everybody has been through some sort of hell in their life, everybody. And, um, we can all rise from it. You know, we can all, it's a choice and how we choose to respond to it. Um, And what we choose to do with it, Um, make us better and stronger and rise, or we can be angry and bitter. And, you know, so.
0: Right. Don't Mm -hmm. you feel like the judge should have also kind of been talked to because clearly the judge knows you too. So for the judge. Correct. To step up and say, Hey, I know that juror.
1: Well, yeah. And, and that's the, and that's the thing is, You know, and that's the whole point of it, and that knowing the judge is irrelevant. And so he had no reason to say anything because, you know, in a trial case, the judge for all practical, practical purposes is simply a referee between prosecution and defense. They don't have a game in the hunt. You know, so like during the voir dire process, when they're kind of, you know, looking at all the different jurors, they're asking, you know, do you know any of the defense attorneys? Do you know any of the prosecution attorneys? Do you know any of the witnesses or the uh, victim or the defendant? They're asking if you know. never is it asked if you know the judge, you know, because I mean, was I curious what his particular take was on all of this? I mean, absolutely. In the the book, I disclosed some of our text messages back and forth, myself and the judge. When it was all, I mean, obviously, I didn't communicate with him during the trial. He's professional enough that, I mean, he wouldn't have engaged in that if I tried to. But after it was over, like that day, you know, I was, you know, had text him and I said, I'd love to get together with you and just pick your brain on, you know, your take on all that um and he he had said absolutely i'd like to know better um how to manage juries as well and get your perspective well that all you know of course <laughs> a couple of days later you know he you know i i never heard from him again and it's like you know and then i mean i mean it was just it was you know like i said he was a personal friend and a and a client and that i'd put him in this quagmire of ridiculousness you know i mean it was just like but is our justice system you know, so fragile that you can't have common sense and look at things and look at what's relevant and not relevant, you know? Or do we use rules to manipulate? And it was quite an experience. But depending on your perspective and whose side you were on it, um, yeah, I mean, now the defendant just has manslaughter charges. So.
0: How much time did she get?
1: 10 years. Was, you know, so the second second degree, you know, like I said, the maximum was 20 years, but then there was uh, apparently if you kill somebody with a firearm, there's an additional charge that can be added to that, I, which seems absolutely obnoxious because it's like, okay, so you can bludgeon them to death with a hammer or cut them to pieces with a knife, but there's no extra charge for that. But if you shoot them with a gun... Yeah. Anyway, you know, try to make sense of rules. So anyway, she ended up with 20 years total, you know, between her different charges during her trial. But with the manslaughter, it's 10 years. You know, so, yeah, her time was was reduced. But then again, you know, who's you know, she is up for parole next year. Now, I don't you know, who's to say whether she serves one year or two years, the full 10, you know. Right. Um,
0: That's just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It is.
1: You know, and so, um, you know, part of my, uh, apparently, uh, my therapy during that time was to get tattoos. (laughs) Like, and I tell the story in the book, you know, and I have pictures in the book. And so, like, my first one, you know, and of course, I know on the podcast, I can't see it, but... what. how do I make it? Okay, there it is. And I, it's probably backwards, but, you know, so like it's be still, you know, Exodus 14, 14. And, and the, that verse says, um, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. I've always been a fighter, a doer. And in this case, it was just like Katrina, just stop, just sit and be still. Um, you know, and then over on this arm, it, it's breathe, you know, just like, remember to breathe. But then when it was once I had my trial and everything, um, you know, it it was, um, you know, the phoenix was kind of my, you know, rising from the ashes. That's Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. And it's in purple and purple is. And if you see my book, I'm wearing a purple dress. It's the dress I wore to to my trial. And the color is kind of significant in the whole story. Um, and so, you know, and I've been kind of overwhelmed by the people who have reached out to me that have read the book, how I'm able to encourage them. And, you know, so that makes that makes me happy. You know, the the reviews that people have left on Amazon of just that I've encouraged them in whatever trial or struggle it is that they're going through to just keep rising. Just keep rising, you know. Someday that rise may look like a chicken flopping around in dust, but just keep not quite as elegant and graceful as the phoenix, but just keep doing it. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: I mean, that's the only way you're ever going to rise above and be able to move on.
1: You have to be able to do
0: that. It's not Mm -hmm. going to live in that dark place forever and nobody wants to live there. Ain't nobody got no time for that.
1: Right, right.
0: Oh my! So, did you ever find out what these people had to say that they were not allowed to say?
1: Um, yeah. So, of course, I'm a researcher, right? <laughs> um, I dig. So, yeah, of course. As soon as, well, so during the mistrial, the defense attorney had made the comment about how the prosecution had fought so hard to disallow 404B evidence. And of course, I make a mental note, 404B evidence. What is that? So I go home and I look into it. Well, 404B evidence is evidence that can be made inadmissible in a trial if it is, um, uh, I'm losing my words, that is a reflection of the character of an individual based on prior events. Okay, so basically- uh, well, no. It could be um, not the whole point. So the rationale behind not is like, okay, so all these people say yes, I've witnessed his aggression. Yes, he's an alcoholic. Yes, all that. Well, does that? So they don't want that information. Is like, but was he being aggressive in that day? You know. But my thinking is, if she is claiming self-defense, it's relevant to know what this individual's character is, you know, but also, I mean, we can put that on her as well. What is her character? What kind of person is she? But it shows, you know, patterns. I don't know. I, I you know, patterns are important. Correct. Yeah. What is this individual's pattern? You know, and so it's, so all of that, um, that was disallowed was, you know, so the defense attorney, you know, and again, I've not, you know, it seemed like this judge um, just had her own agenda or whatever, because the defense attorney's arguments were ludicrous for in favor of the mistrial. Like he was saying that, you know, like I had made the statement, I looked the victim up and there were no records. By me saying that, that was reverse 404B information because the lack of information was like a you then draw the conclusion that, well, then he wasn't a bad person because there's no record of like domestic violence, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, but we gave him a lesser, I'm um, gave her a lesser charge. You see what I'm saying? Like, right. I you know, saying like that, that statement prejudiced, prejudiced his client to believe that she was lying, you know, it, but I mean, we weren't, we weren't even able to. Say that well, that statement was made after we were done deliberating. Anyway, so first off, it's irrelevant. So yes, they they were not allowed to speak because it was testimony that had to do with prior incidences or events that would have that spoke to his particular patterns, behavior, character, or whatever, which I think is relevant. But apparently, I don't know better.
0: <laughs> so I agree with you. And first of all, yeah. I hope she didn't pay that attorney because he was trash. I mean, you want um, as much as you can. Yeah, I,
1: I know how much she paid that attorney. And let's say you, you could buy a house for what she paid him. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, in addition to that, he's still her attorney of record in a civil matter and refuses to remove himself. And anyway, it's, yeah. I, I, I don't want to say too much. Yeah. I get
0: it. <laughs> and that's a sad thing. Like literally your attorney could make or break you. And if they,
1: absolutely. Do,
0: they don't give a shit about you or your case. They're there for the money. They want a quick verdict. They don't care. Unfortunately, you're going to get screwed.
1: Yeah. Well, and that was another thing that, you know, I, You know, I don't, I honestly do not know the reasons why he fought so hard for a mistrial for her, you know, but one of the things I, I, you know, say, you know, like when I'm sitting in that mistrial hearing, I am talking about, you know, like I'm writing out my internal dialogue (laughs) as I'm sitting there. And I was like, you know, one of the questions I was asking is, is he just wanting to stay in his client's pocketbook longer? Is he wanting to draw this out longer? So that he can say in her, her pocketbook. You know, I I don't know, you know, I don't know all of his reasons. So
0: right. you know, and I had
1: even reached out to him after the trial as well. Um, and then he, you know, just as like, you know, why, you know, wanting to know like why so many of the defense you know, the witnesses weren't able to speak and stuff. And, you know, he said, he said, I'd love to talk to you about it, but we um I can't talk to you now. Well, come to find out. I mean, I found out why because he was trying to get me with contempt of court. But he used the fact, he used that against me during the hearing. I'm like, "Really? I mean, come on, asshole." You know. Um fun time. How long did
0: your hearing go on for?
1: So, um, you know, the mistrial was May 11th. Um, you know, the hearing to, you know, decide if a mistrial would be found or whatever my first hearing was scheduled for june 27th i don't know why that date was imprinted in my brain i don't know why it's slipping from me now which is good um but so and i went and anyway that defense attorney he ended up being like an hour late for it and i'm like really i mean if i'd been an hour late that would have been another contempt of court charge do you see what i'm saying but this dude walks in there an hour late and And he wasn't prepared, and so the judge uh, continued the case. So then I'm like, I just wanted it over with at that point. You know what I mean? So then she continued it to August 3rd. So we went back on August 3rd, um, and that was when my hearing was. And um, so, and then it was um, in September, the state then offered her a plea deal. So,
0: Did you do any time?
1: No, no. So what they ended up doing was, and of course I had to retain an attorney. So I had my attorney fees, my attorney. And I, you know, I talk about this in the the book as well. He had told me that, you know, maximum was uh, a year in jail, um, which of course, you know, left me like, like couldn't breathe. Um, He, he, he thought a win would be 30 days is what he had told me. He said, maybe, you know, uh, but like get out sooner than 30 days. Well, then whenever at my hearing on August 3rd, after the judge was done totally ripping me up one side and down the other, she said that the maximum charge was 30 days. And of course, I'm like, wait a minute, let me get up and say a few more things. (laughs) It's just 30 days because my attorney's been telling me a year this whole time. Um... (laughs) You know, so why did he tell me a year? I don't know. Did did he honestly not know, or was he just trying to use it as a scare tactic to get me to retain him because it was that much more important that I have an attorney? I don't know. It it, it doesn't matter at this point. Um, but or a uh, fine of five hundred dollars, I think it was, but. What she did is so since she's like, since we're having since basically that whole entire trial is now a complete waste of everybody's time because of you, you have to. So when you're a jury member, you get paid. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, it's like nickels and dimes, but you do get paid. She made me reimburse the county for all the everything that was paid to the jurors. So you get back all
0: 20 bucks here. Here you go.
1: (laughs) No, Well, no. Well, so it's for everybody, which when, you know, there was like 50 people that showed up to begin with. So it's all fifty people that showed up. And then um, and then if you're actually, you know, and I, I give the exact numbers in the in the book of what it was, it was around four thousand dollars is what I had to pay back for the cost of the, but of course she acted like she was doing me a huge favor because I wasn't having to pay all the attorney you know like the the fees to like the the state prosecutors and and all and all that so I think the final favor was her letting me know I couldn't serve on jury duty anymore I was like darn
0: (laughs) can I have that in writing so I can plaque it (laughs) 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 well when they say don't look things up I'm pretty sure they mean it
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, they do. So I don't know, you know, and my my attorney, he said, you know, he said, Katrina, do jurors look up information when they're on a multi-day trial? He said, absolutely, they do. Do we know they do? Of course. I mean, it's just, it's too easy to, we've got too much information at our fingertips. He said, do they probably sometimes disclose in um, deliberations information that they found or haven't found? He said, probably. He said, but has ever in the history of our county, another jury member come back and complained after the fact, after a unanimous decision? He said, absolutely not. We've never had this happen. I was like, hi, my name's Katrina. I, I um I tend to be the unicorn, <laughs> um, and he said, "Well, you apparently should have showed up to jury duty selection wearing your unicorn costume." And I said, <laughs> "Yes, that would have that would have probably prevented all this nonsense."
0: <laughs> was she one of the ones that was fighting for first degree?
1: Yes, first degree in life, yeah. And it's like I I get it she She killed somebody. She took a life. I just you know there's those degrees of murder charges for a reason in that there are murders that take place because they are pre-planned and arranged. Um, there are murders that take place that uh, maybe weren't pre-planned, but the person who did the the killing absolutely hundred percent intended on killing that person. There are murders that happen that are in the heat of the moment, whether it be, uh, you know, in like a self-defense, yeah, crime of passion, you know, self-defense or, you know, whatever. Then there's the accidental murders, which, you know, is kind of what manslaughter is. So you've got those different degrees for a reason. Uh, There's no point in me kind of rehashing out all of the details Of the particular case. I mean, there was a lot to it as far as the story, but in this particular case, I just couldn't attach a intend to kill to it. You know, so it's kind of like, I guess the other side is like I I could have stood by and said, Well, you know what? I've got reasonable doubt, you know, like the beyond the reason, you know, you're supposed to, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. I said, I still have reasonable doubt that you know, that this was actual self-defense. You see what I'm saying? And in that case, I mean, there there's no charges whatsoever. She's acquitted. Being forced to look at, and that was another thing that was so frustrating, is I did only look at what was presented in the trial. You see what I'm saying? And based on only what was presented in the trial, we were able to come to second degree murder, which is kind of the key thing that where we went with that as a a part of it said a a reckless disregard for human life and so that's where we kind of got stuck on and where we came to the unanimous decision but there's there's tremendous pressure when you're in a jury to kind of go with that group think you know you know and also you know it just you know i i'm one of those like you know i'm sitting over there in the jury box during during the trial and I want to raise my hand and be like, I've got a question for that witness over you know what I mean? Like I was like, well, I mean, if you're a judge, you're allowed to ask questions, right? I mean, I don't understand why I'm just supposed to sit here and listen and not ask any questions. So it was a very frustrating process to me. So I can imagine
0: because exactly I'm sure a lot of the jurors had questions because not everything is always answered in court.
1: Yeah. And it was just such a the having to make a decision based on what I saw as kind of cherry-picked information—it's like here, let's make this life decision for somebody um, based on the, just this cherry-picked information that we're going to hand you, and don't ask any questions about the information we're handing you. I—I I was like, ah, I, I struggled with it um, greatly, you know, and it, it weighed on me heavily. To found out that I—I I obviously just would not have what it takes to, and I'm a a very, and I go into this in the book of just, I'm very involved in the court system anyway, and work on many levels of advocating for for kids in foster care or, you know, just the marginalized in society. But when it came to issuing, you know, saying guilty to another individual when you didn't feel like you had all the information um, was very, very difficult. But I feel like a judge in a case would have all the information, but as a jury, we aren't allowed to have all the information. You know, there was even several times where um, you know, they'd they'd kick all the jury out of the courtroom so that you know the counsel and the judge could all speak freely. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are we not privy to this? You know, we're the ones making the decision. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> why are you going to tell us right? Yeah, it's like why are you You're going to tell us we have to make the decision while y'all sit there. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: you need as much information as you can. Very frustrating. To come to the correct assumption. Yeah, Yeah, you have to. Yeah. So you wonder how so many people wind up wrongly convicted. And yeah, because juries are making decisions off cherry picked information. You know, my attorney, when we were talking, he says, You don't know how many times um, jury members have reached out to me after a trial and they've been able to obtain a diff- additional information. And they reached out and they said, If I'd known this before, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, They should have known that before. You know, <laughs> they should have, you know, and, and I don't know. I, I mean, there's, you know, like this rule for 404b evidence. I'm, I'm sure it was put there for a good reason and, you know, good intentions behind it. But then people take these rules and I use it just to manipulate and um, use it to their own advantage when, I don't know, I'm kind of like, if I'm, if I'm going to be the decider of this person's fate, um, give me all the information and, If you're going to trust me in the role to say guilty or innocent, trust me in the role to determine whether each, you know, I don't know, maybe all these 14 individuals, they could have paraded them up there and be like, okay, these are all whack jobs. And it's what they have to say is irrelevant, but give me, give me the ability to hash that out as the juror, jury member, you know? that's only fair. Exactly.
0: I mean, that's a hard decision. You literally have somebody's life in your hands. That is Correct. not an easy decision, a light decision. That's very difficult. You do deserve It is. It to is. the big picture here. Yeah. It's very disturbing that they don't want the big picture out.
1: Right. And I don't understand that. I don't, I don't understand either. it. You know, I mean, the, the victim, you know, he was um, a person, but when they're once they're deceased, there's this air of, of reverence where you don't want to talk ill about them. But we also do need the full picture. We don't want to be irreverent. But if he was an abusive alcoholic, that's important um, in a self-defense and motive
0: Right. Because again, like I said, patterns. Maybe she was at her breaking point, couldn't take Correct. it. Anymore. Who knows? I mean, Correct. I do think, yeah. you know, like when somebody's either murdered or even raped or anything like that, and that person is put on trial as they were the issue. I have issues with that, but at the same time, you do have to know well rounded how this person was. Right.
1: Yeah. Do I think he deserved to die that day? No, I don't. And I believe that the defendant very much, well, I mean, she even, you know, we listened to the recordings of, you know, like when she had made that first phone call from jail and that kind of thing. And she makes the statement like, you know, oh, my God, oh, my God, when she realizes he's, he's died, I wish I'd shot him in the legs or something. You know, I don't think she intended to kill him. I think that there are some, some situations um where somebody probably does deserve to be shot, you know, if we're talking about a rapist or a child molester, you know, or whatever. This wasn't necessarily the case. It would have been better. Again, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the justice system, but we would have been able to, you know, let him be dealt with from, from a legal standpoint and gotten herself safe a different way than shooting him. But it was it was a heavy it was a heavy thing. Sounded absolutely. Is she the one who called
0: nine one one?
1: Well, like I said, there's a whole lot to to the story. Uh there was kind of a out of control son um that was on the scene. He's addiction issues and stuff and he was being aggressive and violent and had taken her phone from her and she runs to her husband for help. And anyway, so she did not have a phone on her. And so she, as soon as she shot him, she then ran to a convenience store that was like less than a block away and went into the convenience store and asked for a phone and called 911. So yes, she did. But... You know, the prosecution used the fact that she didn't stay by his side and help him. She left him. I was like, she didn't have a phone. (laughs) She was going to a phone, you know. Anyway, so yeah, she did. And I believe the the son called as well. Once he realized she had shot him, he called as well. Gotcha.
0: I mean, it's not like she tried to bury
1: him in the backyard, you know. Like a lot of them do. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And we had the video, uh, the recording of her, you know, at the convenience store and stuff. And then once the emergency vehicles are, are coming by, you know, she leaves and she she runs up on the scene, saying her son was still there, and she was afraid. You know, he of course was the initial person of interest because he's there on the scene, and so she. Kind of saying, I shot him, I shot him, don't it wasn't him. So the police and stuff got there immediately. But it took and I don't remember all the timeline and stuff, but I mean it took something like even though there was a hospital literally three minutes away, um, it took like twenty minutes for an ambulance to get there and stuff. And then because it was a crime scene, you know, they have to kind of clear the whole residence and all that, you know, make sure there's no other threats. And so the defendant's argument was like, they're the ones that allowed him to bleed out and didn't give him medical attention. At the end of the day, she's still the one that shot him, though. But he absolutely, there was a delay in medical attention getting to him.
0: Right. So when they arrived, he was still alive on the scene.
1: Yes. Yes, he was. Mm hmm not, not able to speak or anything, but still right. alive. Yeah. Wow. Then
0: I do believe, I mean, three minutes away, like, and okay. he was alive. yeah,
1: like, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so he, you know, it was a, a gut shot, you know, he, he bled out internally. It's basically, mm-hmm. you know, but it, you know, she, you know, she has a, a lot of um, anger and, stuff that that, you know they didn't they didn't get to any fast enough you know
0: right i mean it's a shame obviously you don't shoot people that you don't intend to kill that is the number one one with a gun but the fact that you know she did try to get help and she took full ownership of it and I mean I don't know I've also seen people who did mean to do it and then they play the game it's just so hard to say what right. happens right because you see all different walks of life
1: so well and she you know unfortunately um she did not you know <laughs> one of the reasons why I think that the state felt like they and the majority of the um Jury, you know, it went with first degree murder, is she didn't play the game at all. Um, And so she didn't come across um, like she needed to, as far as this remorseful, you know what I mean? Like, but again, this is a crime that happened two and a half years prior. You, You see what I'm saying? Like, so much time had passed. And did she take the stand? Yeah, she was practically the only witness on her side that was able to speak. So, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Jesus. And and her uh, her testimony did not. I was able to. So, you know, one of the defenses that, you know, the defense tried to go with is because she does have this kind of erratic kind of personality was that she suffered from PTSD, theoretically from the abusive situation that she lived in. Um, But none of that was able to be testified about. So it was, you know, but so, you know, he argued that she suffered from PTSD. I was able to view her testimony through that lens. And even, even her actions and words, you know, after the crime, you know, I've been through some pretty horrifying traumatic events. And sometimes you don't always respond the way you think you would you know it's kind of like you I know I've been through really traumatic events and then it's kind of like you know I need to figure out what to cook for dinner you know what I mean like it it doesn't quite register what's just happened because one of the big things that they kind of used against her is you know when she was in that convenience store you know to go get the a phone and call is while she's there you know she buys a bottle of water it's like you know she obviously I don't know I'm kind of like I know I've detached myself before from what exactly has happened, and I didn't count that against her that she bought a bottle of water. I don't know. I bet that
0: was allowed on court.
1: <laughs> Correct.
0: Correct. <laughs> they pick and choose, and that's not right. Yep. It's
1: not fair. No, it's not. It's not. What is
0: the name of the book?
1: Juror number 11, because that was my my number, juror number 11, so...
0: You're so close to not being on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so close, so close. Well, so you know, there's 12 jurors, of course, but then there's two alternates. Well, um, we ended up having to use utilize both of the alternates. You know, they dismissed two of, both of the alternates came on. So it's kind of like I guess I could have been like, hey, I'm I'm out. I can't do this. But then it would have been a hung jury. That's even more frustrating. So, oh.
0: so two other jurors left?
1: Yes, yes. And had to pull both alternates in. So, you know, I don't really know all the reasons. Of course, you know, again, nobody's allowed to say anything. Or I'm pretty sure one of them in particular, somebody, maybe it was the same jury member, I don't know, complained about seeing them talking to one of the other counsels or something. Who knows? They could have been talking about football scores, you know, but... (laughs) I don't know, but sounds like they, this they woman already, needs a hobby, right? You know, and I don't necessarily fault her or judge her. You know, or maybe I do. Let's be real here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm kind of like I need to bring her a plate of cookies. No, <laughs> you don't. But I, you know, I don't want to get off into the whole political craziness of COVID and all that because I have some. I can get on a soapbox talking about COVID. But I almost kind of I was like, you know, yes, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on some things and deliberations. But I was like, you know what? She's probably one of those kind of people that I equate to like the mask police like she's just, oh my gosh, these are the rules and she didn't follow the rules. And so we're going to report her and it doesn't matter if it causes all this collateral damage, you know, she didn't follow the rules. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the mask police of that. They just feel like it's their duty to report anybody in that doesn't follow rules, even if they're not. And just obviously not looking at the big picture of things. So I just needed to keep my mouth shut, but if I had. <laughs> She'd be in jail with second degree murder. And I kind of wanted a manslaughter charge and that's what she got. So anyway, right. I went through hell for it.
0: It's <laughs> just funny though that you said the mask police, because in my head, I was thinking like that the head of the HOA, the person who doesn't work. Oh, uh, exactly.
1: <laughs> like they've had a they've had an R V parked in their driveway for three days. I mean. Come on, get (laughs) over yourself. Oh, don't you have anything else to do? Right.
0: I think she just wanted to make herself more important than what she was.
1: Well, she did, and she well, and so when I went to my hearing, and the first time it was continued because prosecution did not have her there as a witness. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'd love to see her sit and squirm on the stand, but I'm really not interested or rather just have it over. But judge continues the case. So for the second one, she is there. And, you know, and my attorney asks her, you know, why, if this was such a important thing to you, why didn't you bring it up like during the trial? Like, why didn't you say, you know, report it to the bailiff at that time? And she said. Well, because it probably would have been all of them against me. I'm like, okay. And she said, and also, I don't want to be seen as a tattletale. And I'm like, well, congratulations, you are, you know, <laughs> right? So I'm just kind of like, so I'm sitting there. I'm like, really? So we've got a tattletale that just caused all this, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's on me. You know, everybody's like, it's on me. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Right. I'll be the villain, I guess. <laughs>
0: I'm glad everything turned out okay for you.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, we we uh, go through life and we learn things, right? So I learned a few things. Um, yes. Never, ever, ever. Don't even get on Google if you're on, like, just don't do it. Don't get on Google if you're on jury duty. Um, and if you do, just keep your mouth shut. And if it's that big, a, you know, if it's that important to you, just excuse yourself. <laughs> But just know what you're up against if you're on jury duty, ex- ex- at least in today's time of 2023, where it's so easy to find information.
0: Is there anything else you wanted to add?
1: Um, no, I'm just all about trying to use our stories to to help others. So if it's just to entertain somebody with my insanity, then so be it. But if I can encourage somebody to, to just keep going no matter what life throws at you, then then just do it.
0: Life is nothing but curveballs. If you really sit right about it. So if you gave up every time you got a curveball, I mean, you probably wouldn't make it past age nine.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, good for you. I'm glad you were able to pull yourself out of it. You got your book and you learned a few things. Google yep. is not your friend in all circumstances. <laughs> no, it
1: is not. It is not.
0: Is there um, any way that if anyone wanted to contact you,
1: or do you have like any other platforms for people? Um, I really do not. I mean, I do. I mean, my email address is on the the book. I mean, you know, my name's Katrina Robertson. I'm I'm you know, it's a fairly you know Robertson's common. Katrina not so much. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook and that kind of thing. You know, my book, I, you know, of course it's on Kindle, you know, paperback, but then I also recorded an audio book and just full disclosure, I recorded it myself. I am not a professional, so it's not a professional, you know, but for people who just wanted, you know, if you want to listen to me talk for five hours, you know, I don't, but it is available on audio, but I'm pretty easy to find. My email address is in the book. And I'm I'm easy to, to find on Facebook. And I, I've had lots of people find me on there and send me a message. Both the haters and the lovers, you know, you've always got housing haters. That's right, um, you, you're um, doing something. <laughs> yeah, you're not, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but that's okay.
0: No, nope. if we were all each other's cup of tea, this world would be boring. So, <laughs> you know, like I, I said, the, year, the first, I, I've got five
1: more, but yeah, you're my first.
0: I was going to say I popped your cherry, but I don't know how professional that
1: is. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Okay. You too. Have a good weekend. You too.
0: All right, you guys. Look for the links under the show notes, including my own. That way you can like, follow, subscribe, leave a five-star review. If you have a story, you want to be on the show, hit me up. You can do it on any of my socials or through Gmail and my website. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.